This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Concept2 and the Concept2 Skierg. Concept2 is the designer and manufacturer of the Skierg, a training tool for Nordic skiing and for general fitness. Located in north central Vermont, the Concept2 family rose in summer and skis in winter. The Skierg grew out of the time-tested design of the Concept2 rowing machine. As dedicated skiers, we know this much is true. It's not always easy to get out on the snow in winter, or out on the roller skis, for that matter, in summer. The Skierg is a perfect dry land training option for skiers, or anybody really, looking to improve their fitness. The second generation Skierg allows for single stick and double pulling. Take your skiing and upper body conditioning to a new level with a Skierg. You can find more information about Skiergs and their PM5 performance monitors at concept2.com. This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. After some time away, we are back to discuss the start of spring, more sunlight in the Northern Hemisphere, and mostly the state of Canadian skiing. The recent departure of national team coach Eric Broughton leaves Canada looking for a head coach with the Olympics 11 months away. Devin discusses his own experience with coaching turnover and the move to establish a sustainable coaching culture in Canada. First, we're going to talk a little bit about how school is going for Devin and how he is ramping up for his final exams. I have two exams left this year, but uh, a big one's coming up here in uh, a couple weeks. So got to got to in the city every once in a while here, practicing some of my moves, some of my physio moves. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. So let's like I want to reflect a little bit about last time and like the big exams. Remember? Remember yeah, that yeah, conversation? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I I am trying. I got to learn. What's the approach coming into this one? Is there oh, a practicum? You know what? Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is a practical exam. So I've had a couple of written exams. They went awesome. Um, you know, I'm really, I'm good at like the science, the science stuff. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the written exams have all been amazing. And um, this is, this next one's another practical exam. And it, it just, uh, the strategy is maybe, well, I'm old, right? So, but I, I think like, at least this is my perspective, like in the U S and Canada, when you're in university, especially at like a professional education, it's, it's kind of like you're learning to learn for sure. You're learning like a skill that you need to be, you need to be definitely good at and competent, but it's also, I'm not going to say like, there's not a hierarchy because there is, there's a hundred percent hierarchy, but, but but it's it's kind of like, yeah, you're learning to learn. And in Europe here, that's, that's not the case. I, I just have to change my, perspective and it's like they are kings and i'm a a surf you know what i mean (laughs) and and i just have to like like it's more acute more evident or more acute than the states or like i feel like it i feel like it is yeah so so i think like discussions like i'm so my my strategy is going to be like i'm just going to lie i'm going to like picture a puppy like a golden retriever puppy like a really cute one you know yeah but that golden retriever puppy he's ran around a bunch so he's kind of tuckered out and he gets back into the, into the house and he's not going to bite any of the pillows anymore. And he's not going to bark. He, 
he's just going to roll over onto his back and just kind of like calmly move his his legs and just get like just rub my belly you know i'm not gonna rip up the couch i'm not gonna get into the dog food or any like eat the food i'm just gonna lie here and take it so that that's gonna be my strategy i'm just gonna try and be as humble as i can and just be like yeah just i don't know like not i don't know anything because then you get a bad mark you have to answer the questions but really watch what i'm saying and and be like you know what you know everything i know nothing and and just keep that hierarchy going. Do you know what I mean? So what I remember from last time, and correct me here, was that like during the practicum, they were trying to either correct you as it was ongoing or sort of prompt you to go in a certain direction and you didn't go in that direction. Yeah, is well, that sort of how that played out? Yeah, 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 essentially. Like, so there was just like, in a textbook, it said I could do some techniques a certain way and uh, the sensor wanted me to do it in a different way. And then they asked me why I didn't do it in this way. And then I said, why I didn't. And they said, well, yeah, is there any, could you have done it differently? I'm like, I, and I explained exactly what I could have done, but I chose not to do it this way. And I defended myself. And then we had what I thought was a discussion, but in the end it turned out like <laughs> she wanted it done. She wanted it done her way and she wanted it done. And she tried to give me an out, I guess. Sure. And I thought, she was challenging me to the point, like, can you just defend why you did it a certain way? And I did that. And that's not what she was looking for. She wanted me to be like, I did it wrong. Sure. This is the other way. Would you like, would you like me to show you, you know? So, and then I got just smacked. Same, same (laughs) professor this time. No, you never know, right? With these sensors, there's always like external sensors and stuff coming in. So there's always two people examining you and minimum two, two to three. Um, and so you just never really know who you're going to get, but I really hope I never see that person again. Cause I was, I was kind of a dick. I'm not going to lie, especially at the end. And, you know, because I, I <laughs> and, uh, I can admit it. Sure. And, and, and like she said that I was too assertive and too confident. And then I just took that as like, isn't, isn't that what you want out of a therapist? Like, that's what I want out of a therapist. But, uh, anyway. So that's why I'm going to be totally humble. I'm just going to be like the most chill person ever and speak very quietly and, and like, yeah, maybe um, like the puppy, just picture, picture, picture that tuckered out. I know, but I, I would have to go that's, exercise. That's what I'm going to do. You have to go run or something. Oh yeah. You got to exercise. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That golden retriever is going to be just knackered. Do you have time to go exercise before this thing? Oof, that could be tough, but, uh, but I might, I actually, I might actually, I think that's a good idea. Maybe I'll just have to get up I don't an know. hour earlier. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Go for an hour run before the exam. Those are tough strategies. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's nope. been a long time since I've been. Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, but that's, that's have one more like that. And then one more small exam and then I'm done for the school year. So that's good. Oh, good. And then you have like a, like an actual summer. Uh, not really in Europe, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. My last exam is the 14th of June and then I'm back in school the second week in August, but I have two months. So that's not bad. Okay. Yeah. But that's tight. Okay. That's tight. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. We're, we're, let's see, like Bend, Oregon is we're now extreme risk again. For the Rona? Um, yeah, dude. Yep. Oh man. It's a bummer. Yep. So I've had one shot. Okay. I get my second shot on the 14th of May. Okay. Looking that's forward good. to that. That's good. Yep. Uh, I think I mentioned to you, like, felt so good. 
Man, I felt like, you know, I'm 52, but for me, I stay semi-fit. I felt supremely fit for me because I had this trip coming up. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we waited. Let's see. The, the, our real window was the end of March. It was prime. We had six days of high pressure. My buddy couldn't go. He was on the river. And then we waited literally seven weeks. We're like, okay, there's no seven weeks. We're going to get a four-day window here. And it was like storm after storm oh, yeah. hitting Wyoming. Whereas here, we had like six to seven weeks of like high pressure, <laughs> almost zero moisture. Oh, God. So that was a bummer. Then my, my father-in-law got was sick. I mean, I think I mentioned yeah, that did, to you, you a while did. ago, but yeah, he finally, he passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we had a window last week. It was one of those total adult moments. My buddy called me. He's like, okay, dude, the window's at the end of this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm like, great, I'm packing. Yeah. And I'd already spent, like we had been going back and forth, spending the night with my father-in-law. He he was in hospice in, in his own house. Yeah, but, I remember you telling me you know, that. He, yeah, he needed help. So anyway, I I did pack, but then I was like, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I can't leave. No. Like, this dude is, yeah. So that was the right call. Didn't go. Oh, for sure. Like, I, my wife's. Bummer. It's still a bummer not to get Not in a great place. Yeah, for sure. It was a total bummer. Each, each verse, but, but that is, you made the right call. Yeah. And he's the type of guy, like, he would be like, go. Um, yeah, but it's not about that. No. Nope. Yeah. It's not. It's about my fa- my my older kids taking it pretty hard, and so anyway, oh, we yeah, might. I'm going on a river trip. I am going on a river trip with Hoffman on Thursday. Whoa! Yeah, very excited. Of course. Yep. I mean, like he's going to Brown apparently, but I like. No, he's him done. Touring and hanging out. No, I know he's done it for this semester. Yeah. But like, I mean, he's just. Uh, he's like quite the life over there. Yeah, he skied. Let's see. I know he skied a couple of volcanoes. Went to Mount Adams with his partner. Oh yeah, and he's, all he's over at, the place. I guess this morning he's at Smith, and they might do an afternoon yeah. bike ride. And you know, he's dude. He's exactly. He's living his best life. He is living his best life, and I'm so into that right yeah. now because we have this nasty rescue dog that I love, and that dog is living its best life. And we talk about that almost every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep, that's awesome. But yeah, I, I see you must have been. You must have, even though and uh, even though I knew you were you were planning to go to the Wind River Range, but. Um, those pictures of uh, Simi getting after it in the Tetons, Holy really, dude. Yeah. yeah, he got that. Got the uh, that. Got the. Um, speaking of living your best life, Simi's living his best no. life, and it definitely got me. It it got me thinking, like, man, I've I've had some good times in the mountains, and like, we've had some great conditions here in Norway too for ski touring. I've gone out a little bit, but just like a day here and a day there, and then and seeing those. And then having these stupid physio exams and like two young kids and just like, dude, Simi, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not because you're too busy crushing, you better cherish those moments. Because if you have two kids and then all of a sudden need to get a job or something I don't like know, that, man. I, I just saying. I don't know. I go back and it's a, well, I don't even go back and forth. Like I, I, I don't Enjoy have it. my own Instagram account. It's just through Faster Skier. So we like, we follow a bunch of athletes. And I'm like, okay, people are posting their training, their biking, whatever, you know, it's spring break. I'm like, okay, that's great. Whatever. That's your job. Am I being harsh? Yeah. No, no, that's fair. And then there's Simi. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I think my son follows him on Strava and he's like, hey, Simi's in the Tetons. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm a, wonder what he's up to. Yeah, what he did was impressive. Mm, yeah. I really do. So, yeah, go ahead. It got me 
super, I want to say jealous, but I'm just so tired and beat down that like, I can't, I'm not even jealous. I'm so pumped for them. And, but I definitely like close my eyes and be like, man, those were the days. Not that I could have done what he was smashing through the Tetons, but still. I think, I don't know. Do you think you could do, like, I really want to ski. And my older one has been like, we're skiing the Grand. We're skiing the Grand this year. And, you know, we pushed it back this year. And now it's next year. And I'm like, God, I don't know. I think, you know, I could climb it, feel great. I don't know about skiing yeah. over that freaking oh, yeah. six pitch repel. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have that in me anymore either. I, it's, yeah. I, like I said, I'm just so, I'm just so beat up. <laughs> like, uh but yeah no for sure it, it's but yeah you you'd do it you just you'd be, it wouldn't be you wouldn't be pretty maybe maybe be a lot of like like you'd be yeah, here's what I, here's what i'll say you'd be puckered you'd be puckered right up i backed off a ski this i haven't backed off anything in years and we went to go ski this direct line off the middle sister and it's just straight pretty much straight down that front east face and I've been eyeballing it for a while. My older one went and did it on this perfect corn day. And we went back like four days later and it was sunny, but there was like an east wind. So this cool wind coming up the face, it was pretty much besides the first two or three turns bulletproof. And I watched my son go in. He's much more nimble than my, I am at this point. And then I watched my buddy who I ski with all the time drop in. And I was like, I have a father-in-law who's really sick right now. I don't need to be like a bag, essentially get bagged up at the bottom of this freaking ski. We don't need broken femurs. No. I think that would have been the best the best case scenario. So I backed Somebody off. I said femurs, plural. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not skiing this, guys. I'll meet, I'm going around and skiing, going to the bottom. And that's sort of like, honestly kind of uh kind of rattled me a little bit yep to be honest i was kind of yeah but good for you for making those smart decisions and the reality is like not to judge and people can do what they want in the mountains yeah. just use your head but um but at the end of the day like i think it is super super important to recognize where your limits are on any mm -hmm. given day and whatever condition you got to listen to that because like you can go you can go back a couple days later in better conditions or wait till next year when it's filled in with like power or whatever. I mean, there's always another day, but if you, but if you try and be here out there and ragdoll. Yeah, that's all I, I was visualizing the ragdoll. 600, 700 yeah. meters, six or 700 meters of ragdolling. I mean, yeah, you're in your early fifties, Jason, you, you know, you can, those ragdolls. Uh, Trust me, so I have this vision. <laughs> And I, I was imagining like I survived it and then my wife just being like, oh, okay, so great. Good. So now two people on my life yeah. are on. Yeah. Unnecessary. Like, yeah. Good call. You made the right call. Yep. Um, okay. So speaking of, okay, we still got it. Here's yeah. a brutal segue, but I'm doing it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Canadian skiing. I got an email. I don't think you were copied on it. It's like, hey, what is going on? There's a little, there's, there's some turnover. Oh, and yeah. yeah, I thought we would sort of use Canada as a template perhaps about, you know, what is going on? And then in the broader picture, you know, talk about how countries like outside of Norway, maybe, <laughs> um, how do they build programs and sustain it? Right. And, and, uh, 
develop continuity both in athletes and staffing. Yeah, and I think um, that's such an important discussion to have. And, and I think funding. it's also tough to have right now. And we're in like a real dark place in, in international skiing, I feel like. I think there's not it's not just Canada that's struggling with this. It's a, there's a number of programs. I mean, a lot of programs are struggling financially. Um, that's no secret. Like worse than... I don't, it's hard to say worse than ever, but it's it's not a it's a it's a grave situation. That's for sure. It really is. Um, and yeah, like in Canada right now, you know, we've just been struggling for years to put together a program and having direction with that program. It, it's just kind of like a strategy of like putting out fires. It seems like or just getting through the season kind of thing and wrecking staff and like like everybody's run ragged and, and just trying to like put together something and it, it's for sure it's 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 by no means sustainable and, and we don't have a clear vision or when I say we I mean as a Canadian uh, myself sure I, I just feel like the Canadian program right now is, is lacking like that clear and defined vision I, I I know that they're working towards that and they have some passionate people in place that are that are wanting to see change and and there is some behind the scenes stuff to try and get things in that direction and I, and I I think it's more than just people meaning well I think there is some I think there is some people in the organization well there I know there is not I think I know there is there is people in that organization that that definitely want to see this um, turned around and then have some ideas which I agree with in, in making that that happen but the fact of the matter is right now uh this is a situation the canadian ski community should have never put themselves in and that might be strong language but that is just definitely the facts like you should be able to withstand one coach leading your program any program around the world should 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 have succession planning in place that if a coach decides to leave you're not left with your pants down 10 day, 10 months before the Olympic games, you know, and no, and, yeah. and, and Canada just yeah. is Canada isn't Canada is left with their pants down with the Olympics in 10 months because Eric Broughton decided to leave um, the year of the Olympics for a number of different reasons. And that's fair. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think it's even that necessary to go into reasons why coaches leave. Um, you know, that's a personal choice at the end of the day, whether it's professional or personal or a mix of both. The, the fact of the matter is programs should anticipate staff turnover and, and staff will leave. And that's just how it is. Um, but if there's no succession plan in place, it, it, it puts it puts the program in a very difficult place. And, and Canada is in that difficult place right now. Can, can you talk? I'm just curious, like tangentially want to go or not. That's not the word I'm looking for, actually. Chronologically, can you go through sort of like when you were, like, say, an emerging junior, you know, 2021, oh, yeah. through when you retired? And I'm, it doesn't need to be like super detailed, but I'm curious, like, what did you experience in terms of who were the national, co you know, the head coaches? And what turnover was like and what the plan was like to bring someone new in. And was there a continuity of culture or was it like, okay, my my impression was, for example, when Broughton came in, I think this was his third season, 
that he tried to establish and did establish, you know, for for many athletes, his culture and his sort of paradigm of like interacting with athletes and training and best practices. So does that question make sense? Uh, I, I would agree. Yeah, no, it, it does. It does make sense. But I, I would agree with that. And you know what? I think that's, I think that's the way professional sports should, should be, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, we always want to get lost into this nuance of like the American philosophy or the Canadian philosophy or like our way of doing things like park it. Everyone has the same goal. Get a group of athletes together that are skiing better than they ever have or better than they were the season before and come to the championship in the best shape they can be. And that's the goal for every country. And, you know, if you're going to hire coaches, it's the same as if you're going to hire soccer managers in, in top European clubs or NFL coaches. Do you know what I mean? Like Bill Belichick uh, at the Patriots is going to run the program as he sees fit. You know, we like to call it like the New England Patriots way, but really is it the New England Patriots way or is it the Bill Belichick steered way? Or is it his philosophy that, that he's kind of steering? And, and uh, you see that around a ton of different sports. And I think that's just, that's how it is. I mean, it's the same in leadership and business too. So you shouldn't be so surprised. I mean, like Elon Musk, Elon Musk um, runs his businesses the way he sees fit. I mean, of course, there's all this oversight built into it. But so, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying. But, but um, yeah, for sure, I, I, that, that is fair. I mean, Eric Broden, the other thing too is like Eric Broden was really young when he came to Canada. Um, he's still really young. Um, he had no international experience when he came to Canada. He had been a club coach in Norway uh, with a fairly sizable club, but by no means the biggest club in Norway or anything. Um, and when he took over the program or when he came to Canada, he was under the impression that he was going to be like a next gen coach or an assistant coach uh, with a national team program, like with, with the succession planning in place. And circumstantially it turned out that uh there was some turmoil at that period too and, and in a very short order he was he was not only the head of the program but he was the only coach hired for the entire program the entire program in Canada and this is a young man from Norway with no international coaching experience now running a program completely or like like the the, the head of the program not running the program completely there's a lot of people behind the scenes that were, were helping him, but he, he is the only hired coach with the Canadian national ski team. And that, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone that doesn't have any experience from before and is learning on, on their feet and learning as they go and far from home and, and um, trying to figure out uh, how things work, how a different culture never lived in another country before, hadn't done much international travel either. To be honest, he, he was in a, he wasn't an athlete himself at a high level or anything. He, he was a ski racer, but not at a high level. And so, so it was just like, whew, it was uh, it was a big lift. It was a heavy lift. And I, I'm really proud of the way he was able to get his athletes to buy in and, and run a, a program that, that saw improvement uh, season after season that he was there. And that, that was, that's against a lot of odds. So I think he did a, he did a wonderful job, but I also understand that that, he was put under a, an immense pressure and uh, stress and uh, unnecessary. Um, and, and it's just a job where you couldn't just do it by yourself. At least that's my perspective. And that's only my perspective, like Devin Kershaw's perspective um, that, you know, he, he definitely could have needed, it would have been really great if he could have had some people um, more NST staff hired to, 
fill out his role. So, but that said, that said, coming back to your question, like, like that, that was a struggle in my career as well. I mean, I think when I came into the junior program, we had a more succinct uh, system-wide program in place. So Alain Perron was his name, and he was the junior national team coach, and I was on the junior national team for two seasons. And there was that succession from an athlete standpoint as well. You had a junior national team uh, with, with a coach um, that ran that, that wrote programs, and, and you discussed, and that was your point person. Uh, even though I was living at home and because I was still in high school and stuff, but but my coach was at that point Alain Perron, not my club coach. And then there was a number of camps with the junior national team and then some racing trip opportunities. Of course, World Juniors, you had to qualify for that, just like in the U.S. Um, but you had, uh, and then the succession was to the senior national team. And um, at that time, there was actually like a B team and an A team. Uh, and really, there wasn't that, I guess it was sexier trips, sexier camps <laughs> with the A team. But the B team was also like a fully funded, uh, fully funded operation as well. So, and in that time, the A-team uh, or whatever, the national ski team, senior team was uh, two coaches. We had Mike Cavalier and, and Dave Wood. And uh, Mike Cavalier was the assistant coach and Dave Wood was the, the head coach. Uh, so after my junior career, I graduated into that program. And then there was definitely continuity there uh, for a number of years. So my first Olympic Games in 2006, it was, it was Dave Wood as the head coach and um and Mike Cavalier is the assistant coach. And then, and then Mike left uh, after that season. And then, and then there was some um, Dave, you know, realizing that it was good to have more input. And it was it's just a lot of work for just one coach. Um, he decided to, or the program decided to take in other coaches to fill out that role. And in 2008, we had Steiner Mundahl, a uh, Norwegian coach who actually coached the Canadian national ski team in the 90s. So Dave knew Steiner really well. And we had Steiner for one season, and then um, he Steiner Mendel struggled with with alcohol abuse, and that that's totally public knowledge and been published all over the place. He wrote a book about it. He's he's really landed on his feet, but um, you know he really thought that he was ready to go back into international coaching at that point after losing his job as the Norwegian national team head coach in the men's coach, sorry, in the early 2000s after his time in Canada, but he wasn't ready and uh, he struggled with his, his time in Canada. So he left after that season and then um, uh, Dave took in, or like the program took in Arald Mumsen, who is now the uh, Norwegian sprint coach. He's been the Norwegian men's sprint coach for a number of years. So in 2009, we had Arald Mumsen uh, and Dave working in tandem. And then he was let go in a, yeah, not the best way um, as far as the athlete's perspective, but it, regardless, his contract was terminated or not terminated. Yeah. But his contract was terminated after one season. Um, then in the Olympic season, uh, Inge Broughton, who is, you know, one of the most accomplished coaches, the late Inge Broughton, sadly, he passed away from cancer uh, a number of years ago, but he, he let, he and Dave uh, ran the team into the 2010 Olympics. So let's just take a quick break to catch our breath there. Um, from my senior career, which started in 2003 to the Olympics in Vancouver in 2010, uh, Mike Cavalier, Dave Wood, Steiner Mundahl, Arald Munson, and Inge Broughton were coaches that came through the program. That, that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit of change. But Dave was a constant through that. Um, so there was the continuity. And then I wouldn't necessarily call it succession planning because it was 
we were bringing in uh, top experts that were really made a huge impact on our program uh, from from Europe. But um, for whatever reason, the, the leadership made a lot of changes in a short time, which I've, you know, a lot of the athletes at that time probably wouldn't have been super uh, uh, on board with all those decisions. But, but regardless, um, it, it was what it was. In that time as well, the junior national team program ended and ceased to exist and never got going again. So there was some camps and stuff like that, but there was never a junior national team coach that ran a program like it was in my day. And that was a huge miss, I think. And that's a miss that we're still, we're still suffering from. And, and I wouldn't necessarily have a junior team now personally, because I feel like schemes moved a bit, um, but we can come back to that. So, and then from 20, then from 2010, Justin took over, Justin Wadsworth. And, and we had some, we had some continuity in that, in those years. Uh, I did not, and it was the first time in a while actually that uh, we had some continuity and I really thrived under that personally. In, in that environment. I mean, 2011 and, and 2012. And uh, those were my best seasons as a professional athlete, no question. When, when and, you say continuity, I mean... He, well, he just he was there. He, yeah, okay. So he lived in Canmore. And that's where you were based yeah, out no, of. He, he, yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Not, but, Dave, but Dave lived in Canmore too. And Dave was great in, in a lot of respects. And, and, you know, everyone has the challenges. Uh, but so there was continuity with Dave. Dave lived in Camor too. But ju- Justin, what I meant, like he brought in some new energy, some new ideas, and and I really responded well to that. Of course, I had a great base. I mean, you know, there's no question. While I had my best results under Justin, and we worked incredibly well together, and we we were good friends before, and we're still good friends now. Um, you know, that, that's uh, uh, of course it, it, nothing's built in a day. So I mean. Uh, the the base of training and uh, support through all the Dave Wood years and and then all the other coaches I mean that that was absolutely a major major part of the reason why I was able to succeed in those years you know what I mean but I give Justin a lot of credit I mean I joke around with Justin all the time about that when when we talk about that it's like like we're going to be tied to each other for forever until we get some of these Canadian athletes to win a bunch of world cups. Cause like, there's no question the best athlete Justin ever coached was me. And well, I mean, he coached Becky, but that, you know what I mean? Like in an official capacity in an, I'm saying in an official capacity on a results page. Um, uh, and, and my best results were 100% with Justin as the, as the, as my coach. And that's just the facts. <laughs> so we we had a we had a good time and then and um justin you know they started his family started growing up and um like his kids and it became a lot and then same old thing it just it's a lot of work for one guy to kind of manage and with other coaches we had eric denies that was running uh the b team and then also um and also run or the development team sorry so there was a development system there was succession in, in the in the system at that point and in the end, we had a year with Torona Hetland in 2015, and then Justin um, took a step back, and then then we had Ivan for one season. Um, yeah, it just became like a mess, essentially. Yeah, there's just like a lot of changes. Eric left, or Eric denies um, left the, the program uh, just before. Well, not just before, but say a year and a half before Justin. Justin left the program. It was just like a lot of change and 
and then funding changed and then the high performance director tom holland who had been there forever and started as a volunteer uh, he, he retired and you know ceos were moving around you know you had like david mcintosh then you had Shane Pearsall, and now there's an interim uh, CEO, now it's Stefan Barrett uh, in that role. And all this has happened like in a very short time. So in the last five years, there's been a lot of coaching changes, leadership changes with three separate CEOs and also high performance director changes. Um, We had no high performance director for a while. And then there was one hired in the last year, Kate Boyd. Um, Stefan, like I said, has been in the CEO role for a year, but part of that has been in an interim capacity and then now has the full reins. So there's just been like a lot, a lot, a lot of change. And now in the spring, <laughs> we lost we lost uh, Eric Broughton, which was really too bad in inopportune time. But like we said, like I said, I mean, in, in high level sport, we you, you have to expect that staff will leave. So you have to plan for it. And when we just, we were caught out, we, we weren't ready for that. Jeff Ellis left as well. He obviously, he was not a coach, but he was involved with Nord- Nordic Canada. So there's a lot, yes. there's a lot of moving parts right now. Yeah, there's too yeah. much movement. No, yeah, and it's too much. And it's, 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 it's a hurricane is what it is. And it's smashed into the Gulf Coast of the U.S. And it's just wreaking havoc. And that, that's the facts. I mean, Jeff maybe is a really behind mm-hmm. the scenes uh role at Nordic Canada, but he was in charge of the race series, the domestic race series, and putting those calendars together and putting those events together and making sure the sponsors are happy and everything like that. It's a fairly fairly involved and big job and and that's not a that's not a role that you can just hire somebody right off the street and they're gonna come up to speed. I mean, again, like back in the days there was a guy, his name was Dave Dyer and he'd been with with what was cross country Canada for a long, long time. So if you want to kind of like contrast what it used to be to what it what what it is now is I feel like for back in the days there was there was um, definitely like a high company IQ yeah, you could say that's a good way of you, you know it. Dave Dave Dyer had yeah Dave Dyer had been in the role of uh, race race director at, at Nordic or at Cross Country Canada forever and that's good and bad and um, Dave had been the coach forever he started as a junior team coach he started as a WAC technician actually in the national team program and then was the junior national team coach for a number of years and then took over as the role of the head coach uh, Tom Holland was a high performance director for a long long time like over, over a decade you know probably almost two decades and she so had a lot of continuity there and even when Dave Wood left the program like Justin was working with Tom Holland at that point so you still had that uh, high performance director piece in place. And so you just had some succession. You had, yeah, you had company IQ and, and things were fairly stable. Um, and, and now there's just, it's like you just said, you, you've lost a race director, you've lost a coach. Uh, you have a new high performance director that's been in there for a year. You have a new CEO that's been in there for a year. Um, the Olympics are coming up here it's coronavirus pandemic. It just, it's a, it's a perfect storm of disaster. And it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a really challenging time in Canada. So I'm curious, like what strategies did you use to insulate yourself from all that noise? I mean, you have one objective as a racer, ideally, right? Which is to perform your best in a championship year. It would be at world champs and an Olympic year. It would be at the Olympics, but there's also obviously all the world cups to navigate and not to diminish the importance of those, but you know, it's like 
you know, in a year like this, it's like everyone's going to be talking about the Olympics. How, how did you, you know, sort of address the noise, but at the same time, like, I can't get caught up in this and I have a task? I would say I did a very poor job at that. I, I think that was something that I did an incredibly poor job at throughout my career. I think if you contrast my my situation compared to Alex, for example, in his career, I mean, he had coaching continuity throughout. You know, like Louis Bouchard, yeah, who's the Quebec Training Center coach, was just, was Alex's coach when Alex began at the Quebec Training Center as a very young athlete, as a teenager. And, and he had the same coach his entire career. And it was, of course, like... Justin had that influence in, in, in Alex's career, so did Torana, so did all the coaches and staff that wax technicians. Of course, they have a role to play. But his point person was Louis Bouchard, and his, the head coach of the Alex Harvey project was, was Louis Bouchard. And that continuity, I think, really has a lot to say. And whereas I had a lot, I just named a bunch of them. Like, I, I never had that continuity throughout my career, really. Um, because there were so many moving parts and different coaches. And, and I, I struggled. I really, I 100% struggled with that. I, I struggled to, with the um, pendulum swing, even though like philosophy wise, like when I look back as a 39 year old or 38 year old, God, I'm not 39 yet, Jason, come on now. Um, uh, you know, I'm like, oh geez, what a waste of energy. And that, that was always something I struggled with as an athlete. I, uh, you know, energy management is definitely something I always, uh, always struggled with. I'm analytical. Uh, I'm very curious. Um, and that, that, that's, that's great. And that's, uh, you know, probably allowed me to get to the heights I got to, but it also meant that it was a high cost. It's a high cost to be analytical and, and curious and, and, and also bad at managing my own energy. And, and, you know, that I definitely struggled. I, I definitely remember like a, a really important moment for me was crossing the finish line in the 50 K and in Vancouver and missing a medal by like less than a second and sitting there at the finish line, just wrecked and understanding that like the Olympics are over and I, I'm going to leave with a fourth and a fifth place and there will never be an Olympic games in Canada again. And I was sitting in the snow, like just really wrecked from the whole thing and, and being like, it hit me like, like, you know, that whole thing, it's kind of cliche, but like you look back after a performance and go like, is there anything I would have changed in the lead up to these Olympics? And in the four years since 2006 to 2010, I have four different coaches. That's not a good lead up. And that, that sat really poorly with me. Like it, it sat heavy and I was really disappointed because I had that feeling like, well, I had like, it was one of the best races of my career, even though I'd been on the world cup podium prior to that, you know, the results itself wasn't the best of my career, but, uh, but the race itself was one of the best, but it came up short. And then knowing that like the Olympics are moving on, there will never be an international championship in Canada again in my career that that's done. And, and just like sitting with that and it's like, man, there is, th this wasn't good enough. Like it was too much noise. There was too much change. It was, I, I should have had so many coaches coming through this program with their own ideas. Like this isn't, this is ridiculous. And, and the margins are so small. And especially when you're at the, the front end of a race, like that, especially at that point, I mean, to that, to that point, that was the closest 50 K in, in Olympic history. And yeah, to that, to that point. Uh, up to that point and 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 I'm sitting there on the snow on the wrong side of nothing and it it sat poorly and but that also motivated me for the next year and then Justin came in and Justin brought a lot of fresh energy and and we really like um you know he brought a lot of that American swagger I'll tell you that like big time and that's 
that's what I needed in that moment. But um, to believe in myself and, and Justin really helped me do that. And, and um, yeah, it was a great partnership right from the go, but, but I, but just one last thing is like, it, it, it's like that, that motivated me so much to come up short with that 50 K because it's like never again, like I am not going into Oslo next year and crossing the finish line and going like, what could I have changed? Cause that was a horrible feeling. And uh, so, so, and also, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, we won the world championship the next year and I, I, a large part of that is because of the disappointment that I felt in, in, uh, in the Olympics in, in 2010. And I know Alex felt that too, when we were fourth in the team sprints, I know that sat heavy with Alex as well. So it was pretty fun to celebrate with uh, yeah, the biggest win of the men's, the men's team to date uh, at that point. Only only twelve only twelve months later, so it was, it was quite the wild quite quite the wild ride. Like culturally, what is it like in Canada when you know that they're in the midst of making changes? Like right now, this is a time where it's an inflection point, right? If we look back on four years, you know, the next Olympics after after Beijing, and the top of my head, where is that? Is it in Italy? Yeah, it's Cortina. It's Cortina. Yeah, it is. Or okay. Milano, Milano, Cortina, so, whatever, yeah. You know, they don't want to look back in, in five years, right? When this 2026 Olympics transpires and be like, okay, what did we do wrong? Oh, we had a lot of noise and we had a lot of change and a lot of coaches coming in and out, right? So what was your experience during these times, like maybe after 2010, when, you know, I'm making the assumption that the power brokers at the elite level of cross-country skiing in Canada, or the U.S. for that matter, but we're talking about Canada, are going to ask you directly, what is going on? What do you need? No, that, that's and, the way it should be, but that's not how it plays out. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, how did it play out or how does it play out most often in your experience? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I, 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 think, I think that um, we could always be better with, with athlete feedback. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, um, the athlete evaluations, yeah, there is, there is athlete evaluations that are taken, but, um, I, I think that's something that we could definitely improve upon. Uh, yeah, as a, as a country for sure. Okay. Yeah. I like, is it, I, I'm just curious in, uh, like even just outside of sport, just like culturally in Canada, um, when we talk about hierarchy, like, you know, there's an established hierarchy with these NGBs, right? You know, there's an executive director, there's a cross country head, high performance director, what have you. Um, and it's kind of spelled out, you know, head coaches, assistant coaches, head wax tech, blah, 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 A team, B team, D team, <laughs> at least here in the US, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um, is it like that just normally in Canada? It, 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 it had it had been like like back in the Dave Wood when Dave Wood was was running the the senior program that is absolutely what it was like. Um, there was an executive director, a high performance director, a head coach, and Dave Wood, uh, a development team coach, and in Eric Denise. A then at at one point there was a junior team as well. Uh, so there there definitely was, but now that <clears throat> that system for whatever reason, and I mean I, I'm I'm at a bit of a loss for words. I, I I'm not quite sure why. It, we're, we're where we are, <laughs> but that doesn't exist now. Um, uh, to the point being, there's no coach hired by Canada with 10 months to go before the Olympic games. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, there, there needs to be a total rewrite. And, and I know they're working towards that. I know they're working hard yeah, towards that. That's right. But it's also, they're, they're, it, it's just like they're really, they're really going to have to build from the ground up here. And because we've never had coaching succession in the country, really, um, or lately, not, not, not ever, I take that back, but in the last five years, let's say, we've, we've lacked uh, coaching succession. Um, now we have a bit of an issue, like we don't, have, you know, we don't have young coaches in the country, in Canada, that are, have, the, have the international experience to be leading national ski teams. We, we just don't. And, and that's, that's a failure. That's not good. Yeah, why, why is that? That's a good question. And I think there's a lot of people in Canada asking that question. And, and the only answer I can have is that there, there's a systemic failure. And I think when you have too, so much, so much, um, so much change from a leadership perspective in, in such a short time that, that no one was able to establish, establish this as a priority. And, and, and here we are because you're just kind of putting the bandaid on the gaping wound. You know what I mean? No one's looking at the wound going like, Holy shit this wound's going to be gangrene here. Like, I don't think the bandaid's big enough. It's like, shut up, just put the bandaid on. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what we've been doing to just try and like keep the ball moving or keep the, keep the body uh, moving up the mountain or whatever metaphor you want to use. But uh, at a certain point, like, you know what, you have a major infection and then you need to, no, it's, you can't go up anymore. You like, you're going to lose a leg here. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's what they're working towards now. And the, just the problem is, is in high-performance sport, as you know, and everyone knows that, that follows any high-performance sport, whether it's skiing or hockey or baseball or NFL or soccer or whatever, it's like it doesn't sleep. The high-performance high side of things doesn't sleep. And if you don't have a proper system in place uh, and strategies, um, you know, when you come up against adversity, um, it's exploited. And that's what we're seeing a little bit now in, in Canada. And it's, it's a really challenging time. So I feel really bad for, for, the, for the athletes in the program right now because that's not a great situation. But, you know, like you said, they're just going to have to make the best of it and, and focus on what they can control. And a lot of them have uh, good support through uh, training center coaches and a program that they've been skiing in. And, you know, if they can just, you know, block out the noise, like you said. And that's something, like I said, I was always bad at. So hopefully they're better at it than me and, and um, just focus on what they can control and, and prepare best for the Olympic games. And, and really like, don't, don't be cute. Like it's easy. It's, it, you know, getting ready for a big ski race is actually like fairly easy. It's just the hardest thing is to do the right things every day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's what's difficult. That's what's difficult and, and not waste your energy and, and just, um, you know, make those marginal gains and set those, set those small goals towards a bigger goal. And, and just like really every day, wake up and, and, and do your job at, to the best of your ability, that's what's difficult. But the but the job itself is is actually just ski faster than you did the season before. It's not more complicated than that. So I hope that I hope the Canadian athletes are able to do that. I have faith that they will. I mean, they've got good people helping them, and and the training center systems. Um, you know, there's continuity there. So like Louis Bouchard is back at the training center in Quebec, in Montsegur, and you have Timo Pires out of Thunder Bay that's done some good job. Done a good job with some developing athletes there, and and then Chris Jeffries runs the academy out of calgary camor and and um they've been in those roles for a while so so and the athletes on the national team kind of slot into those three teams so from a short-term perspective they, sh they should be okay but that's not optimal as far as that's my opinion but you know they're, they're working towards it and they are working i i want to give 
sort of Canada credit in in that. Like they they understand that this is a, a difficult situation. Like I said, I have I have faith in in, in uh, you know Stefan Stefan has uh, has a vision and and he's working to put that in place. And he hasn't been in that role for very long. And he was given like a real dumpster fire. So it's 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 just going to take a bit of time to 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 put things in place. But sadly, they don't have the time. That that's what sucks about high performance sport. Like they don't get to decide to just pause skiing and be like, hey, we need six months to get this shit together. Like they don't have that. So, they, so it's it, it's a challenge. Do you see, I, I think I'm just thinking of former, you know, elite level ski team members and you kind of reference like, you know, perhaps like a dearth of younger coaches with international experience, either coaching or skiing. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking off the top of my head, there's lots of Canadians with serious hardware and chops that are involved with other endeavors outside of skiing. One, you, right? You live in Norway, but you're an example. Um, you know, Alex, Becky Scott, she's doing incredible work in the indigenous community up north. Amazing work, yeah. With yeah, I mean, boy, just yeah. inspiring. Oh, super inspiring, very inspiring. And I think Jess Cockney is, is a coach, is that right? He has been, but he's he's taking a little step back. He was coaching. He was assistant coach at the at one okay. of Canada's bigger clubs at Foothills Nordic. He's taking a step back. Um, you know, he's almost done his degree, so he's he's working gotcha. towards his degree at the University of Calgary. So he's decided to take a small step back from that uh, right now. That can change, of course, but yeah. Do you see any of your cohort slotting in anywhere? I mean, I'd miss right. some names, but like, there's a lot. Not, 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 no, but not right now. Not right now. I mean, you, you have like, you know, Chandra, right. Chandra Crawford, right. the Olympic champion in 2006. I mean, uh, she has, she's wait, she's awaiting her yeah. fourth kid and is the CEO of Fast and Female, which is also doing some amazing right. work to get women in sport. Uh, so, so she's doing really great stuff. And you have like Sarah mm -hmm. Renner, um, but she's an entrepreneur. Um, runs Talis Lodge and uh, with her husband Thomas Grandy, and she has three girls as well. And um, Becky, as you as you mentioned, uh, you you have uh, yeah. And then George Gray, he's um, he has two young. Well, they're not actually as young as they used to be, but he has two younger children and and lives in the Kootenays in Warfield, just outside of Roslyn, where he grew up. And um, you know, I know he's involved with the. Roslyn Ski Club there, which is great, but from a national team perspective, you know, like he's built his life around um, what he's doing out there. Um, Stefan Kuhn was coaching prior, previously, and, and made a change, and, and then now is actually living in Australia. He's coming back to Canada now, but he has three young kids, too. And, um, you know, some other guys, I mean, Gord Jewett is uh, well, he's a neurologist soon. He's almost done his neurology residency. Sean Crooks is an emergency room doctor. You know, people are doing sure. other things, like you said. And um, But we just haven't done a great job of, at least this is my perspective. Again, this is only my perspective. But but I just think like every year that there's retired, retiring athletes, um, I think it would be, would be good not only to do exit surveys with those athletes, like collect data on like, like some of the questions you just asked actually, but get kind of an exit survey on that. And then also say, would you be interested in staying involved and in what capacity, what is, what is it you could do and what would it, what would it take for you to stay involved and at what level? And that never happens. So, so there's all this money that gets invested into these athletes and then they retire and they just kind of like float off into the ether. 
and, and there's a there's a real time there's real everyone's knowledge is time stamped so so if you retired in 2010 even though you've had a 10-year career in the world cup what you knew erodes quickly the half-life of that knowledge erodes because people don't ski like they do in 2010 anymore <laughs> you know what i mean the training is is fairly similar philosophically speaking but but how people ski the technique the strategies um yeah the, the, the tactics that this this changes quickly and if you see a sprint from 2010 and you see a sprint now it, it's just like it's almost like another sport so if you take a step back and you're not involved in any capacity and then you think you can just slot back in 15 years later because, hey, you went to the Olympics a couple times back in the days, like you're wrong, you're, you're sorely mistaken. That's not how it works at the top level. You can be a great club coach and stuff and you can really help out with community level. But, but if you're going to take over the national ski team, like you're on crack, like that's, you, you got to get back up to speed. <laughs> so, and so we just haven't done, we haven't done a good job of, of, every retiring class, let's say, of having a program to take exit surveys and then and then not only ask if you're interested, but also ask what capacity and then and then making those making those capacities a reality. Like having having um development camps like Devo camps throughout the country, outreach camps, that sort of thing. And then having these people that recently retired that kind of try out is this something you're interested in? Like like sharing your knowledge while it's current with the next generation and, and we haven't, we haven't done that. So it's, um, yeah, that's a, it's a tough situation. Okay. In closing here, I'm going to read off to you at least I won't publish this until after this is public. So I have the, and there's not like any breaking news here, but here's the updated U S ski team. And clearly like there's a lot of names missing, right? You're like, Oh yeah, this, there's a lot of turnover. Um, okay, so I'm just going to get your impressions here. We've got A-team women, Rosie Brennan, Jesse Dickens, Haley Swerbel. A-team men, Gus Schumacher, J.C. Schoonmaker. B-team women, Kern, Julie Kern, Catherine Ogden, and Sydney Palmer-Ledger, who is a uh, skier out of Utah, Sun Valley Gold team, and University of Utah skier. Men, Kevin Bolger, Scott Patterson, Logan Hanneman. There you have it. And then a bunch of D-team skiers I'm not going to get into. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, both Canada and the U.S. really struggle with... Um, I wanted to talk about this, actually. So, so but before I get into that, uh, like, like the, the, the U.S. team, I'm, I'm so excited to see what happens this coming year. I think for the men's team, yeah. like everyone talked about, and Simi had some great quotes in that in, in some of the some of the, piece, the pieces you guys did, and then also uh, in other places, you know, like to really finally see if they can crack the code and come up with like a team culture in the U.S. men's program because mm -hmm. they have not had that ever in my my career. Uh, it was a poor culture actually uh, for my entire career, so and beyond. So I think it's really really cool to see that it's been building here the last couple of seasons and um i'm really excited to see how that that shapes out yeah i think it's so fun on the women's side of things i'm really curious i mean like jesse was the best skier in the world on the world cup circuit um this past season of course the best skier in the world is Terezi Ohug. Uh, that's no question but um on the world cup that was jesse diggins and she has the globe to to show that's a huge accomplishment by the way like i still i love that i get goosebumps thinking about that an american woman won the overall world cup club what a 
what an athlete. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how she tackles this too. I mean, like Jesse's a great champion and, and you know, a, a great role model and, and no question, but it, you know, like she's losing Sophie Caldwell, she's losing Sadie Bjornsson. There's a, this, um, you know, Keegan left a couple of years ago. Um, and now like, you know, Jesse's going to have to take a lot of this responsibility on her own shoulders uh, for the first time ever. And that'll be, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a big responsibility even for someone that's with the Paul Nair that she has. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to follow that story. I think where the U S has been incredibly lucky and I use lucky um, because let's think of Grover. We're going to talk about continuity in the staff. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this during our conversation, but yeah, go like, like Grover <laughs> Grover was involved in the, the U S ski team program before I was a senior. And I, my first year senior was 2003. So start doing the math on that one. Um, he's been involved in the program for decades. Uh, you have Matt Whitcomb who has given his life to this, everything. And it's hard to find people that are both competent and capable and also willing to commit at the same level or more than the athlete that wants to win the Olympics or win the World Cup. But they found that in Matt Wickham. Don't ask me how they did it. I, I think it's luck, honestly. Um, and, and he remains in place. You have Cork, who has been a fixture and a real behind the scenes, like we talked about so often. Uh, who is kind of like in the same mold as Matt Whitcomb. I mean, just given his life for this. And and he is the continuity. And then you have Fish as well, who is, hasn't been there quite as long as um, the others I mentioned. But, but you definitely have this. And, and it's just like incredible to find people like that. Dave Wood was like that for our team, you know, in Canada. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you know, Dave Wood was incredible in the sense that like he gave his life he committed with everything he had everything for the goal and it's very difficult to find (laughs) to find uh, capable leaders that are willing to put in as much or more as the athlete that's goal is to win an olympic medal Uh, it's it it sounds stupid but like in, in north america it's difficult and um the u.s hasn't just found the one like we had with Dave Wood kind of thing. Like they found a number of them and, and I, I think it's an incredible thing. It really is it's been fascinating to watch. Uh, yeah. So, but it, so those are, those are some storylines that I'm really looking forward to. And, and the one, one other thing, like you mentioned criteria and that sort of stuff. I'm like, man, oh man, like if you want to get me going on something, it's criteria. Um, I don't know if you followed this news, but like the Norwegian national team was released today. Um, and there's three big names Three, three big names. There's three big names that were left off, and and one Didrik Tonseth. He struggled this year, for sure, but he also is a World Cup winner as recently as two years ago. <laughs> he's out. Uh, Finn Hagen Crow. He's out. Multiple World Champion and World Cup winner. Skate sprint at altitude. Like I mean, that's got Finn Hagen Crow's name all over it. He's out. He got kicked out. Kicked out of the national team. But the the biggest surprise for me and the biggest story over here, and I agree, is is Ragnar Haga, the reigning 10K Olympic champion uh, in Pyeongchang. She's out. And in skate distance races this year, when it counted, when it mattered, she was, she was the second best Norwegian uh, in those events. And she is no question one of the four or five best 
Norwegian women skiers, she's out. Like she's kicked off the team. They're saying they're going to focus on younger athletes and, and focus a bit more on sprinting and, and she's done. And so I really struggle. There, there's a culture in Canada and the U.S. that I've never understood, and it, it really bothers me, actually, um, it is, all, uh, it is appeals, legal appeals. And, gotcha. yep. and, and the reason why it bothers me is because in high-level sport, like you should have a pretty good understanding of where you are and what you're capable of doing. And I feel like there's a, there's a time and I, I can get some hate mail on this and please, by all means, send away. I don't know. It's fine. This is my own perspective. We need something to read. Yeah. No, no, but this is our own perspective. This is my own perspective. Yeah. But, but I really struggle when um, athletes try and appeal their way on to, to teams, especially like championship teams or something like that. When like, if you were seventh in the super tour, or, you know, you have one bronze medal in a Canada Cup. Like, the Olympic Games is not necessarily like a development tool for you. <laughs> and right. and, that, and we're going to hire lawyers and tie up the USSA and tie up Nordic Canada and all these long appeals and wasting energy and taking everyone's focus away from what the goal is. And, and just like complaining and just like trying to get yourself back on. And, and you know what? Sometimes appeals are it is in one other sense, it is good. So I'm speaking out two sides of my mouth. I understand that. But if you look at like the Catherine Stewart Jones situation last year, like that was an appeal that was, was warranted, you know, she was, or Sandrine Brown. I mean, if you're one of the best, if you're the the best female distance skier or, or one of the, in the country and you don't get on the team, that that's, that's, that's something else. I'll leave that aside. But, um, you know, I, I just think there's way too much energy spent trying to like, appeal your way on to teams instead of just focusing on train better, get fitter, ski faster. Like enough, you know, like you have Ragnald Haga who's Olympic champion. She was the number two Norwegian at the 10 K skate at the world championships this year. She's get kicked off the team. Is she upset? Yeah, she's upset. When, yeah, when she's, Paul, it's interesting. She when, seems really understated and she seems pissed on social media. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Totally. She's pissed. But you know what? She also respects the decision of the team. Like, like she's super, she's completely disagrees with it as she should. I disagree with the, I disagree with the decision completely as well. But, but the fact of the matter is she's not going to start hiring lawyers and like, like, what do you, you know what I mean? She's going to get to work and focus and, and train to make the Olympics and, and do the best work she can. And I have so much respect for Norwegian athletes in that respect, in that regard, because we have Canadian, we have Canadian athletes, man, that have never been top 30 in a world cup ever that have had multiple chances and they're like hiring lawyers and appealing and mm-hmm. like tying all this in getting us already wrecked staff all involved in wasting energy and all these legal appeals. Like you're not good enough. I'm sorry. If you've trained, if you've tried like 15 times or 20 times in the world cup and you can't even come top 30 once, maybe it's time to look in the mirror and train a little harder and try a little, try a little more like, you know, the vote the, you can don't call the lawyer. Look yourself in the mirror. You're not fit enough. Deal with it. Yeah. So, or I'm just one thing I I think about. Um, yeah. So, or perhaps you can work harder, and you let me know here. But I, an athlete could work harder and could have everything aligned for them, but still, they don't have that whatever it is, right? That sports gene, the 
you know, top zero one percent of yeah, that's sports. The magic that yeah, right. There's one Messi. You know what I mean? There's one Lionel Messi. That's always how it's going to be. There's one Mark Birgen. There's one Jesse Diggins right now. But but um, you know, like if you're good enough in Canada and the U.S., I promise you this: if you are good enough, you will get a spot on the team or 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 the championship. Where I where my heart really breaks is like what we discussed again with uh, Dave Norris talked about that or or yeah the Catherine Stuart Jones and Sundering Brown like I discussed that if you are the best in your country <laughs> in a discipline and you're not getting named to teams you have every right to be pissed and you know what if the avenue is there to appeal maybe it's a good idea to explore that because like you are the best in your country that's something else do you know what I mean but if you're the seventh best in your country and that country is Canada or it's the U.S. I think you should have better people around you to motivate you to work harder and, 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 and try and get better instead of wasting a bunch of everyone's energy, yours included, um, appealing your way onto stuff. Because it always fascinates me that in Norway, why am I keep going with this? Because like this was huge news in Norway today. Like this is this is like this is an insane decision that that, that Ragnar Holga has left off the team when there's 11 other women named to the team. So you're essentially saying that the reigning Olympic champion in the 10K is not one of the 11 best female skiers in Norway. It's it's ridiculous. But guess what? It happened. Well, let's walk through her opportunities, right? I mean, she shows up in, well, I'm assuming yeah. it's Betastol and wherever the those early season races it's are. Bido. Yeah, Bido. Okay. She shows up there. Uh, let's assume again that... She needs to be on the podium, man. Or else she's not going to the World Cup in period. Yeah. Or she's not going to period one. Okay. And I, I don't even know what races are there. But let's yeah. assume there's some sort of like 5 or 10K iteration of a skate, a classic, right? It's always two 10Ks. A 10K classic, a 10K skate in the spring. She has to podium there. And is that an auto? Is that an auto start on period one in Norway? No. Okay. No, it's not. But, but, it, but it's like you have a good case. Okay. <laughs> so that's an yeah, avenue. Yeah, yeah, and if but if she doesn't do that, she's going to race the Norwegian Cup and the Scan Cup, and if she wins the Scan Cup or she's leading the Scan Cup by the end of period one, then she can get a free start, just like the Super Tour start sure. spot right. in, in the U.S. Uh, it for period two. But if she doesn't win the Scandinavian Cup, which is tough to do if you're not a great sprinter, because there's not that many Scandinavian sure. Cups, right? Um, so then her next chance is is Norwegian Nationals. Mm-hmm. And if she's not on the podium at Norwegian Nationals, that the Olympic ship has now sailed. Like that's it. So, so whereas an athlete on the national ski team in Norway may have multiple World Cup weekends to blow out some rust, and maybe they're twelfth in one race, but then they get up and they're second in a race, and then that's the ticket to the Olympics is kind of punched. Um, so it's a very, very challenging road ahead for Didrik, Sittenhagen, Crow, and Ragnall. They have a chance, of course. But it's a very, very difficult road when you're outside of the national team system in Norway because the national team system is so big and there's so many athletes and there's national team athletes that are left off World Cup starts. So it's it's because um, they, they have more athletes than World Cup starts. So it's uh, it's it's, it's going to be a, a long road ahead. But I, I I'm always just so respectful and always impressed that you know when Sunby gets left off the team or Nicholas Deerhug gets left off the team and <laughs> you know. They're not like they're not hiring. Their, their first thought isn't like hiring lawyers. You know, when Paul Pogba gets benched, he's not hiring mm-hmm. a lawyer to get himself back on the pitch at Manchester United. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. That's not how it works. 
so, so, so I, I, I think, I think in Canada and the U.S., we need a culture change. I, I, I really do. Like it, like sport is, is, it's brutal, man. Like it, sport is a brutal arena. And <laughs> I agree. So, thanks, man. All right, take care, Devin. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening, and we hope you all have a chance to enjoy some sunshine. Thank you.